Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Good morning. My name is Roman Canziani. I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer. And as usual, I start with the morning market wrap. So, it was a short relief rally on Wednesday. It only lasted for a few hours, actually. The longer trading was open in the US yesterday, the more stock prices were pushed down. The S&P 500 index closed the day down by another 2.1%, with only 40 stocks of its about 500 constituents posting a positive performance on the day. All sectors ended the day in the red, with utilities, consumer discretionary and real estate underperforming, and energy the only sector close to a positive performance on the day. The VIX index, measuring the S&P's implied volatility over the coming 30 days, rose again to almost 32 points. This index has been hovering above the 30 points line for the whole week now, suggesting that investors are very nervous about the coming weeks with regard to stock prices. In fixed income, US Treasury yields climbed across the board. Two-year yields trade at 4.20 and 10-year yields at 3.77 this morning in Asia. The US dollar is more or less unchanged versus its major peers. The euro is falling towards the 98 cents level, while the British pound now trades above 1.11 again, just where it was when the UK announced its tax cuts last Friday. Gold is slightly up, with one ounce trading at around 1,660 US dollars and Bitcoin is for sale at 19,500 US dollars. Traders see the reason for the renewed pressure on markets triggered by St. Louis Fed President James Bullard, who told a virtual forum that increased market volatility won't cause the US central bank to pause its tightening campaign and that markets finally seem to have understood the message. In other news, Meta Platform's CEO Mark Zuckerberg outlined sweeping plans to reorganize the company and reduce headcount at the social media giant. He said that Meta will likely be smaller in 2023 than it was this year, which is probably owned to the fact that advertising revenue growth is slowing at the company. In overnight trading, Asian equities mostly dropped in the wake of the plunge on Wall Street, with the major index of the region's equities heading for its seventh straight weekly loss, the longest losing streak since 2015. Prices have recovered though over the past hours with the Hang Seng leading the rebound, trading slightly in the plus when I checked a few minutes ago. The Japanese Nikkei index closed down by about 2%, despite Prime Minister Fumido Kishida instructing his government to come up with an economic stimulus package by the end of October. And the offshore one was weaker too, uh, too, as data showed China's factory activity continuing to struggle in September. European equity futures are fluctuating between gains and losses at the moment, uh, with the region bracing for another volatile trading day, which brings a flurry of economic data releases too, including CPI and PPI inflation for France, Spain retail sales and UK GDP. Later on today, we'll have PC numbers out of the US and the University of Michigan Sentiment Index released. That's it for the Markets Wrap. I'm now handing over to Tim Geigy, our head of FX and PM Solutions, for a summary on the currencies and metals markets. Please go ahead, Tim. Thank you, Roman, and good morning. As Dina Washington once sang, what a difference a day makes. Cable back up at 111.50 and counting this morning is a thing of uh, beauty and relief. Very good, very nice. And while Euro dollar has been somewhat tugged along in its wake, I am really struck also by the level of Euro sterling this morning, back at a much more sensible 088 Bear in mind, in that cross, Monday morning, we were up at 0.9250, which made no sense at all to me, even if I could sort of see why at that point cable was so low. 
It did look to me like the Sterling move was a bit of an overreaction. Perhaps there was something of the uh, boy who cried wolf with my thoughts on this, as I may have mentioned the pound once or twice in the last month or so. But this time at least, it looks like this might be the case. That being said, anyone sharp enough to buy pounds earlier in the week on a speculative basis should take profits. However, anyone buying it on the basis that at some future time, six months, one year, 18 months, it will be much higher again, should wait. Technically, and then I will stop banging on about the pound, if we close above 112 today, this would be a very good sign. It's month end and quarter ends today, which might make things a little bit turbulent, plus it's Friday. Macro-wise, Ukraine news has seemed to me to take a bit of a backseat this week, despite the fact there were some rather worrying statements, especially from Medvedev. A wounded animal is often the most dangerous, and while Biden's statement, for example, that the US will never recognize Russian domain over the Ukraine is laudable, hard to argue with, further reactions from Putin seem likely, so we need to be wary of this and not uh, forget about what's going on. Metals also recovered quite nicely. Gold and silver leading the charge, and my favorite platinum also more or less on the right track. I am still totally unconvinced by gold, but from here, if the dollar does catch some sellers, I would expect gold to join the party. I'm looking for levels to reduce exposure in gold, but I would rather be patient. And for longs, again, I would still much rather look at platinum, perhaps via a reverse convertible. Watch out for European CPI at 11 and US PMI at 345. We already had UK GDP. It's actually quite a bit better than expected, both quarterly and year on year, which is fairly surprising. But possibly another reason why Sterling is doing a bit better today. Um, Nonetheless, I would rather expect, after such big moves this week, some up and down seesaw action today, especially with the previously mentioned quarter end flows. Thanks for listening. Happy Friday and back to you, Roman. Thank you very much, Tim. And now over to Carson Menke, our head of Next Generation Research, with an update on digital assets. Please go ahead, Carson. Thank you, Roman. Good morning. Well, you know, with inflation running at double-digit rates in many countries, I would in fact assume that central bankers are day and night active fighting inflation. Seems like they're not. So this week, some of them, including Jerome Powell and Christine Lagarde, attended a digital assets exchange hosted by the Bank de France to discuss opportunities and challenges of the tokenization of finance. Attracting a lot of most of the attention, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Powell spoke about the recent rapid growth in decentralized finance, DeFi as we know, acknowledging its potential while also warning about the very severe and structural issues around transparency. He furthermore stressed that the rise of DeFi and also stablecoins need to be accompanied with appropriate regulation, which we also see as a precondition to, in, to instill trust and foster adoption. Furthermore, Powell spent some time speaking about central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, outlining that if the Federal Reserve was to issue one, it would need to be intermediated, privacy protected, interoperable, and identity verified. Put simply, it would still be controlled by the US Federal Reserve, and it would not be anonymous. At another event this week, Fabio Panetta, one of the European Central Bank's executive board members discussed the potential development of a wholesale CBDC in the Eurozone. He stressed that while wholesale CBDCs are generally presented as something new that is made possible only by the emergence of blockchain technology, they functionally exist already for decades. Consequentially, the ECB believes that blockchain technology still needs to prove that it can provide bigger benefits than existing technologies. Again, very much mirroring our own views. Where could this be? Well, in real-time transactions, for example, or instant settlement of security transfers, 
But the jury is still out and center banks are putting a lot of effort into research and development. Also on the topic of CBDCs, Russia is reported to be launching its own version, the digital ruble, next year in order to settle trade with China and break the dominance of the US dollar. As for China's digital yuan, we struggle to see the benefits of CBDCs in global trade as any kind of settlement can be done in rubles or yuan already today without involving the dollar. All in all, we stress again that the development of CBDCs should be seen very independently from the development of digital assets. This is due to the fact that CBDCs do not necessarily need to be based on blockchain technology and that they will not be decentralized. In fact, CBDCs should be seen as the central bank's response to the rise of crypto in order to keep control over the monetary system. Or, in a very simple way, they could be seen as the anti-crypto. That's all from my side. Back to you, Roman. Thank you very much, Carson. Well, with that, we conclude today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. Thank you very much to our speakers and thank you all for tuning in. We do hope that you'll join us again soon. I wish you all a good day ahead. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.